0: I invite you to open your Bible to the Gospel of John, chapter 8. We'll look at some verses there in a few moments, but go ahead and be turning your Bible to that passage. Yesterday, our church participated in our city's annual rolling in uh, Rock Hill, and we'll share more with you about that next Sunday, but let me just say that we have more than 100 uh, members from our church volunteer in this effort in different ways. And about 50 people from here uh, yesterday painted two houses down on Walnut Street. But um, we also had volunteers who not only had prayer walk the neighborhood, but who yesterday were taking gift bags, if you will, to the various houses in that area and, and uh, meeting people, talking with people, and praying with them if they had some prayer requests and, and so on. And it was, um, it was interesting. We had some conversations. Um, sometimes nobody was home. At other times, uh, you knew people were home, but they wouldn't answer the door. And as I said, there were some conversations, but there was one man who uh, said he didn't want a gift bag, and he didn't want anybody to pray for him. He was very nice. He just didn't want the gift, and he didn't want any prayers. And uh, he knew who we were, and that, that we were painting those houses on the street where he lived. And and so the response, you know, varied from house to house, and and person to person, and that's not surprising. And some of you are wondering, because it's just human nature, why why did we do that? Why did 50 people show up and work about five six hours yesterday painting those two big houses? Why uh, did people walk door to door to neighborhood, giving out gift bags and and asking if we could pray with people and and so on? And 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 there are really many reasons for it. One is just to meet needs because the owner of the home is you know, elderly and of limited resources. So it helps her. It also helps the neighborhood talking with a leader in the city. Mentioned to me yesterday how uh, this rolling in Rock Hill efforts just uh, encourages other people in the neighborhood to start taking better care of their property. And so that just makes the neighborhood a safer place. So there's a lot of physical, tangible needs that are met and reasons to do that. Another reason is to show people there is a God and that He cares and that God's people care and the church cares. Um And there's a reason that matters. Now, I want you to hear something. I want you to listen carefully. One of the reasons that matters is because there are more people than most of us in this room realize who don't think we care at all. There are more people than most of us in this room realize who think that religious people are mean, unkind. Earlier this week, Steve Polk and I spent a day at a church and culture conference looking at the latest research on the religious situation in America and and, and, and those who don't go to church and those who are not followers of Christ, and especially the younger generation, the Gen Z, which is the youngest generation, what could we learn about them and how to do ministry to them? And uh, one of the things that some of you have heard, but let me just highlight it, is that the fastest growing group in America today are what in media are called the nons, the non-religious people, the people who claim no, Affiliation. there. You know, historically in America, if you ask people what denomination were you, what religion are you, even if they didn't go to church, they would say Christian or whatever. That is changing. The single fastest growing group in America today are those who say they have no affiliation with any religious group at all. And that is especially true among the younger crowd. And how do they view religion? How do they view the church? How do they view us? Well, there are several things, but two things in particular stand out. One, they view us as being too mean, too judgmental, and too hateful, and too unkind. Now, we say we're not, but it doesn't matter. Because if the people we're trying to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ look at us, look at the church, look at Christian religion today and say you're mean and you're hateful and you're not kind, how are we ever going to be effective in reaching the majority of them with the gospel of Jesus Christ if their perception of us is so negative? The second thing that stands out is in their opinion we are way too tied to politics and power. Now let that sink in. Because brothers and sisters, I'm saying to everyone listening to my voice that you and I are here as the people of God to reach lost people for Jesus Christ more than we are here for any other single purpose on this planet. Some of us sometimes forget that. There are some of us, when it comes to Facebook who need to change how we post things on Facebook, what we post, how we say, what we forward, or get off altogether because we're harming the cause of Jesus Christ. We need to listen to what Jesus said. Now before we look at John chapter 8, I want us to look on the screen at another passage where Jesus is speaking. Now listen to what Jesus said. He cried out and he said, now notice this. He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. In other words, Jesus said, when someone believes in me, they're also believing in the Father. And he who sees me sees the one who sent me. In other words, if they see me and hear me, they're actually seeing and hearing the Father. I have come as light into the world. So that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. We get that, right? Beautiful verse. But Jesus continued in verses 47 and 48. If anyone, now this is Jesus speaking. Listen to Jesus. Jesus said, If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, in other words, disobeys me, Jesus said, I do not what? What did what did Jesus say, church? I do not what? I do not judge him. He says, Because I did not come to judge the world. See, the world's already under the judgment of God. Jesus didn't come to to throw that in their face. He came for a different reason. He said, He came to do what? Save the world. Let me ask you, why are you on social media? Why why are you in relationships with the people? Is it to judge? Is it or is it is it to save people? Verse forty eight He who rejects me, so they reject Jesus and does not receive my saints, so they reject Jesus and they don't accept anything that he says. Does that sound like many in our culture today? Yeah? Has one who judges him, just one. The word I spoke, he said what I say. They'll be judged by that. But notice when it happens. When does it happen? Last, now let me ask you, does that have any influence on how you and I are to relate to the unchurched world, to the people in this community who don't know Christ and who don't believe in Christ and who don't live the way we think that you know a Christian's supposed to live? Does that? influence in any way how we relate to people. Now think about what I just shared a moment ago about the way the average non-church person in America views the church today. Doesn't it make sense then that maybe we need to humble ourselves a little bit and put some effort into learning how to be more like Jesus? If we're going to take seriously his commission to love people and to reach people and to take the gospel to people. Today's message I've titled Loving Sinners. And when you look at the graphic, <laughs> doesn't that look weird? It's kind of, you know, if you, if you, if you uh, If you ever see the the graphic for a horror movie, it's more like one of those, right? Well, I I asked our graphics people to do that on purpose. Because I think sometimes when you and I as followers of Christ look out at the world and look at lost people, we we view it as such evil and horror that, that we don't want anything to do with anybody. And rather than learning how to love them, we condemn them, we judge them. At least that's how people see us. And, and it won't do any good for us to bow up our back and say, well, they just see us wrong. No, no, no. If we are here to love them, love them, then somehow we have to learn how to live and interact with people in such a way that they actually think we love them. But John chapter 8 is a very well-known story in the life of Jesus. So if you have your bible let's look at it. Beginning in verse 2 early in the morning Jesus goes to the temple and people started coming to him and so he sat down and began to teach them that was the common way a rabbi would teach he would sit surrounded by a crowd and he would he would uh, teach. Now this is a scene in which Jesus has a large crowd around him. We also know that Jesus invested in, you know, smaller groups. There were times he had 70 they'd send out on mission and, 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 and he had smaller groups than that and he had the 12 and then he had the three inner circle. And, and, and the truth is you can sit in a worship service like this and receive teaching, but if you're going to become that really strong follower of Jesus like the core, like the disciples did that moved beyond just this crowd, you have to do more than just show up for worship on Sunday. You need to get into smaller groups. You need to have quiet time at home, but that's a future sermon series. And so, in midst of that teaching time, the scribes who were students of the of the Old Testament of the Scripture, the Pharisees, the most influential religious group uh, within Judaism, a very legalistic group. They brought a woman called in adultery. So they bring this woman they, that had been called in adultery in, uh, to Jesus there in this public public venue and uh, having set her in the center of the court. So they make a spectacle of her. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been called in adultery. Now notice what, what does the end of verse 4 say in the very act? Now... Brothers and sisters, if they caught her in the very act, and you know what that means, right? If they caught her in the very act, where's the guy? Hmm? Listen to the Word of God. I guess there's some people we'd rather condemn than others. Verse five. Now, the law of Moses command in the law Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Well, the Old Testament law did, but you know what? The, the Old Testament law also said the the man should die too. So, what do you say, Jesus? Verse six. They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. they They wanted they wanted to lay a trap for Jesus because either he was going to say. The Old Testament is wrong, don't obey it, or he was going to say do it and then he was going to alienate people because the truth is only in certain pockets of Judaism did they actually stone people. It wasn't common at this point in time. And so they were trying to, they, they didn't care how Jesus answered. They just wanted Jesus to be unpopular with somebody, get in trouble with somebody. Jesus stoops down and he begins writing in the dirt and there's no need to speculate, speculate about what he was writing. Nobody knows doesn't really matter. Verse 7, and when they persisted in asking him, in other words, he must have stayed down there and not said anything, just doodling in the dirt for quite a while. Because they persisted, they kept pushing for him to do something, to say something to respond. And then finally Jesus stands up. It's kind of a dramatic moment. And he said, "He who is without he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. I wonder how many of those men had in their past committed adultery. I wonder what other sins were in their minds and hearts. And so Jesus says, all right, go ahead. And in the Old Testament, the witness, the witness was to be the first one to throw the stone when somebody was you know, experienced capital punishment with stoning. They had been the witnesses. We caught her in the very act, all right? You're the witnesses. You're supposed to throw the first rock. The one of you that has no sin, throw the first rock. And then he he, he stooped back down and started writing in the dirt again. In verse nine, when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. Now, you know, I never really thought about that until I was reading for this sermon. I, I, you know, I'd always noticed they went out one by one, but I had never really noticed it was starting with the older ones. Shouldn't it be that the ones who are older, been around the longest, and should know God better, should be the first ones to make up their mind to do what is right and to lead the way for everybody else? Isn't that God's economy? And then it's just Jesus and the woman. Everybody leaves. And then straightening up, Jesus said to her in verse 10, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And in verse 11, she said, No one, Lord. Now notice Jesus answer, his response. He said, I, I, I do not condemn you either. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Now, you all, some, you've heard me say this before. I think this passage is probably the best description of how you and I are to live in, in this world. And how we are to be in relationship with people who don't love God and people who are sinners and people who don't follow Christ. We hold the truth, but we don't judge and condemn. See here's the problem. most people way, way over here on the left, if we, and I hate I hate terms. I hate you know, putting people in groups, but let's just do it for the, just to, 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 to make the point. People way over here on the left, very liberal, they tend to really focus on that. Neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you, mercy, et cetera, et cetera. And people who tend to be more conservative, if not careful, tend to focus way over here on the right. Go sin no more, sin no more, sin no more. But what Jesus did was he held the two together in perfect balance saying, I am committed to godliness and to truth, but I'm also committed to being in relationship with people in a way that doesn't judge and condemn because they're already under the condemnation of God, and on the judgment day, that will take care of itself. What I am to do in the here and now is to love them and save them if they will allow me to. How we go, listen, how we go about it and how we say what we say matters just as much as what we say. And I'm not saying it's always easy. It hasn't always been easy in my life. There are times even today it's not easy. But brothers and sisters, I don't know how to be a follower of Jesus without authentically trying to balance these two things in a way that Jesus did. And I think too often we go one way or the other and don't really try to bring them together in Christian conviction and Christian compassion. And the world sees that. See, sometimes the problem is that we expect lost people to act like saved people, and we judge them because they don't. We forget they're actually lost. Now, do you know what the research also tells us? That the nons, the non-religious in America who view us negatively, they're, they're really not hostile toward God. Their hostility is directed more at the way we represent God sometimes. The truth is most of them are apathetic. They don't think about God very much. You see, we most of us grew up in a day when people who didn't go to church, there was a consciousness of God and they would think about God. But LifeWay Research tells us that 50% of the adults in America today don't ever think about whether or not they're going to heaven. It's not on the average lost person's radar anymore. And they have a very limited knowledge of the Bible, if they know anything at all. You know, it used to be that even people didn't go to church had a basic knowledge of Scripture, and so you could sit down with someone, have one conversation, share the plan of salvation, and they would get it. And it was just a matter of them being persuaded to commit their lives to Christ or not. Today, many of the younger people you talk to don't have the basic knowledge for you to even present the gospel. You've got to have other conversations to bring them along. It's a different world we live in. So what do they need from us? They need us to be in relationships with them that are kind and loving and that are authentic and godly. Relationships in which we have conversations and a dialogue with them, not just a one-time, let me share the gospel and put a notch on my gun. They need relationships with loving and kind believers and followers of Jesus Christ who just engage in life and conversations with them so that they can begin to understand the gospel and that God cares and that we care. It's a different day. And what does the Bible say? As Baptists, we've always said the the Bible is the it's the authority for our faith and practice. It's the authority for what we believe. It's the authority for wh- for how we live and conduct ourselves as disciples and followers of Christ. So I, I ask again, what does the Bible say about this? Well, Colossians chapter four, verses five and six. Let's look at these on the screen. He says, "Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, those who are unchurched, the nuns, with wisdom." Yes, we need to understand this culture. Yes, we need to understand where lost people are today because God says in his holy word, conduct ourselves with wisdom in our relationships with them. You can't be wise if you're ignorant. And there are times we need to go to school and learn, so to speak. Making the most of the opportunity because listen, I I'm 60 years old. However long God gives me to still live and preach His gospel, I'm doing it in this era. I'm not I'm not doing it in an era like when I started. When I started preaching in the 1970s, I can't. That's that's not now. I have to be be one who is wise and takes advantage of the opportunity that is today because today's the only opportunity I have. And so it is with each and every one of us, brothers and sisters. He said, let your speech always be with grace. Now, this is not how we talk to each other in church, even though that would be true. Here he's saying, how do you engage with the lost in this world? Let your speech always be seasoned with what? With grace. And and, and what does that look like? It's like salt. I know you you, you can put too much salt and you don't get blood pressure, but hey, salt still makes things taste better, (laughs) right? Right? I usually put salt on while I'm brining my meats or while I'm cooking, not afterward. But salt makes things better. And what he's saying is when you're in community, when you're in relationship, when you're in conversation with people who are non believers, the nons out there who are apathetic toward God, etc., sinners. Lost people, he said, you need to speak in such a way that it's like putting salt on meat. Your words need to be so filled with the grace and kindness of God that it makes things better, not worse. And again, I remind you of what I said a moment ago about Facebook. Some of us in this room need to change how we do things on Facebook or get off Facebook for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let your speech be with grace so that you will know how you should respond to each person. And by the way, respond to each person, guess what? That means I'm in conversation with them. They are asking me questions. I'm in a relationship with them where that can actually happen. Because if you're not in relationships and having ongoing conversation with anybody who's lost, there's nobody going to ask you anything to which you then need to respond. and treat people in such a way and talk with people in such a way that, hey, they're comfortable to ask you. We've spent some time this past month looking at Vision 21. I want to call your attention to just a a few things real quickly. I know some of you may have that little pamphlet in in your Bible. If you do, go ahead and look at it. I've got a larger print out here so I can see because my eyesight's not what it once was. But remember we exist why? Love God, love people, make disciples. And why we do what we do is crystal clear. We do this by helping people have a relationship with Jesus Christ that impacts their life both now and for eternity. This is their greatest need and it's also our purpose and mission as followers of Christ. we listed three priority commitments. One of those was to engage lostness. Now you tell me, how can we be a New Testament church if we're not committed to engaging with lostness in this world? There's a paragraph on our church. Let me read the last sentence. It says, We demonstrate our love for the lost and the saved by treating them at all times in keeping with the fruit of the Spirit and love as defined in 1 Corinthians 13. What are the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit and biblical Christian love? Well, I listed some of them there. Look that list over. Read it. And what we're saying, and, and by the way, isn't that what the research is saying? That if we're going to reach lost people in this world, we need to learn how to treat them with those same attributes that we treat one another. It's people created in the image of God and we're here to love God and love people. And that includes lost people. That includes sinners. One of the sentences in the paragraph on evangelism in Vision 21 says, Our guests feel welcome for different reasons, but the first reason is because we treat them with respect. Why is anyone going to listen to us talk about Jesus if we don't treat them with kindness and respect? We don't have to compromise who we are as followers of Christ, but brothers and sisters, we need to learn how to be followers of Christ that show grace, and patience, and kindness. If we want to influence this world for the gospel. One last passage. Again, I ask, what does the New Testament teach? First Peter chapter three verse fifteen. Look at this. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. In other words. You give Jesus that sacred place in your heart where he is Lord and where your heart and your life belong to him. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope. Now, that's not a negative. That's a positive. Somebody says, well, why are you a Christian? Why are you a believer? You should be able to tell them in a way that is winsome. But guess what? Nobody's going to ask you that if one, they don't know you are a follower of Christ. If second, you're not in a relationship, having conversations with them, and third, if you're not treating them in such a way that they want to talk to you about it anyway. And when we answer them, how, do, how does he say, how, do, how does the Bible? How, do, how does the Bible say we're to answer lost people with gentleness and one reverence, respect, with gentleness and respect. Do you know that Lifeway Research says that 82% of non-churched adults would accept an invitation to worship if they were invited? Listen, not just if they were invited, if they were invited by friends. It's hard for us to do evangelism if we don't have any friends who are not followers of Christ. Because the research says they're apathetic. They're not going to just show up at church on their own with rare exceptions. They need us to be in relationship, in community, engaging, to be friends, to be loving, to be connecting to be talking. So let me end this sermon with a little survey. How many of you were raised in church, going to church practically every Sunday when you were growing up? Wave at me, okay? All right? So it's a majority of this service, which also points to the importance of parents discipling their kids, grandparents discipling grandkids. Now, as you know, I did not grow up attending church. How many of you are like me? You didn't grow up going to church all the time. Wave, wave. All right, I'm going to, this is a smaller crowd, but I'm going to ask you to do something. Those of you, and and, and, and so i want to ask you to have some courage. If you waved at me, you didn't grow up going to church all the time like me, would you stand up right where you are for just a moment, please? Go ahead and stand up. And remain standing because I want to, now I want to ask you a few questions, okay? I'm going to ask you to wave while you're standing. Those of you who, like me, I didn't grow up, I was a sophomore in high school the first time I ever darkened the door of a church, Okay? So you didn't grow up going to church all the time. Of those of you who did not grow, who are standing right now, okay, how many of you, when you started going to church, it was because you saw an advertisement on television or in the newspaper? Raise your hand. How many of you who grew up and who, who grew up like me, not going to church, started going to church because you got something in the mail? How many of you who did not grow up going to church went to church because of a relationship, because somebody talked to you, somebody invited you, somebody encouraged you, because because of some person or persons that God brought into your life who engaged with you, and that's the reason you ended up at church? Would you raise your hand? Now look around. That's the overwhelming majority of those who didn't grow up in church, folks. Do you get the point? Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Some people will start going because of a need in their life, a crisis in their life, just a hunger. But most people don't find the courage to darken the door of the church even when a need comes in their life anymore unless they are in relationship with somebody who already knows Jesus. Now, people have asked me, what's Vision 21 about? It's not about a program. It's about us as the people of God understanding what the New Testament teaches about who we are to be, the kind of people we are to be, and our mission in this world, and changing our attitude, changing our thinking, changing our approach, and getting out there in this world and saying we care and we love and we're going to engage for the sake of Jesus Christ and His glorious gospel and we're going to do it the way He says do it. That's what this is about. So who are your unchurched and lost friends that you are in relationship with? If you don't have any, why not? Who are you going to invite to worship in Sunday school? What are you going to do about your Facebook post? How are you going to change the way you talk to people and about people? Do you love sinners enough to make the effort? How are you showing your love for them? What do you need to change? What do you need to do? The invitation is for you to respond to what the Holy Spirit is, is speaking into you right now. Because there's things in my life i got to do. And there's, that, that's true for each and every one of us, isn't it? And the longer we follow Jesus if we're not careful, the the more isolated we will become and unable to do what Jesus told us to do. Mm. And that can't be good. That can't be right. So I know some things I need to do. Do you know some things you need to do? We sing this song. Let's talk to God about it. You're welcome. You're welcome to come and pray at the altar. Some of you, you have a burden. By the way, those 360 names you submitted the other day, we prayed for every one of them this past Sunday night during our prayer time. Maybe you want to come and pray for somebody. There are people in this room who God is talking to you about this church, about you joining this church and committing yourself to being a faithful, serving member here. So I want us to stand, and the team's going to lead us in singing. Pastors will be here at the front. We invite you to come, make your decisions for Christ. Those of you who are not followers of Christ, listen, I don't know what your background is. I don't know what your experiences with God's people have been. i tell you what I do know is that Jesus loves you so much Jesus loves you so much that he left his home to come to this messed up world for you. He loves you so much that that Jesus, the one who had the power to create the universe, allowed himself to be taken by human beings and nailed to a cross, dying to pay the penalty for your sin. I know he loves you that much. I know he loves you so much that that he kicked death in the teeth and came out of that grave and said, if you believe me and follow me, you'll come out of the grave and live forever in heaven. I know he loves you so much that right now he'd, he'd start fixing up your room in heaven if you'd let him. So come to us. Jamie will be here at the front. I'll be here. Come and say today, I want to give my life to Christ. Come and pray, brothers and sisters. Let's do business with God.